The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Saturday, February 1st, 2020, and you are tuned in to the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hami Media. In association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com and now unleashed at NDPW.com. On this week's show, we're talking about the GOAT, Randy being Randy, the women's division on the red and blue, some AEW, another never open weight champion, and of course, some AEW. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network online, hitting the marks. Com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who's still wearing that damn Cincinnati Bengals sweatshirt, the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. It's me, it's me. It's that R to the B to V. Rick Vickery back again. The Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. It is a, a super over-the-top weekend. The big game tomorrow. It is Saturday night, Jargo. And you know what that means? Oh! It's Saturday night. It's laundry night. Hey, laundry night and sitting around talking to you. There you go, man. Boy, we're exciting people, aren't we? Uh, you, you know, RBV from, hell, maybe RBV from last month would be kicking my ass right now. <laughs> At least from 10 years ago. The Jargo from 10 years ago, the RBV from 10 years ago would be kicking our asses right now. Yeah, that's 100% completely true. But now... There's not really a whole lot of places I'd rather be than sitting here talking to you in your Cincinnati Bengals sweatshirt. Uh, Huckleberry, let's go ahead. We're, we're going to do a little bit of a lighter show this week because it's been an insane week. I haven't gotten to watch a whole bunch of professional wrestling. We do have some news topics here, and we also have to save some stuff for the Monday locker room, which, of course, is going to include a little bit of coverage for Super Bowl LIV. Well, was, you know, before... We started recording here. We're kind of going back and forth, figuring out the schedule for the weekend. And I told you, Jargo, like I, when it comes to podcasting, I don't feel like I've accomplished that much this week. And then I, I kind of paused for a moment and I had to kind of add on to that, you know, accomplished a lot that made it to air. Personally, I know you had a tremendous, you know, hitting the Super Bowl show that you put out there with uh, big Stevie Cool, Stevie Richards and Mr. Hameen's brother, the, the, the guru of the Hameen family. When it comes to the football, that guy blew me away, man. Uh, you guys won a hell of a show that you guys put out there. And, you know, besides that, you and I have been putting together a special little project that's taken some time because we're we're trying to rally some troops, some tremendous guests. We're, we're trying to get this whole thing together to hopefully have that out for everybody. So we've been busy. We've been productive. Uh, just not hitting the airs yet. Yeah, there will be a very special edition of HTM Sports that's going to be coming your way. Um, we have about 45 minutes already in the can. That's one segment of three 
Um, and there actually may be a fourth from what I'm hearing. It's going to be a absolutely star-studded show. You will not want to miss it about the life and times career of Kobe Bean Bryant. Uh, but Huckleberry, we got a couple other goats we got to talk about. It's not about Kobe today. We got to start off. That's right, John Cena back in the news. He's in the news a couple of times, Huckleberry. Did you get to see the new Fast and the Furious trailer? Uh, you talk about all over the place. <laughs> What's up with uh, creative inside WWE and some other major promotions around the world? Did you get the impression that now they they just don't really care what they're what they're doing here with this with this franchise? Yeah, it, it kind of strikes me as that way. But one thing that we have long awaited. We get the John Cena heel turn in Fast and the Furious 9. Cena's playing the bad guy. And I got to say, man, I'm, I'm not a big Fast and the Furious fan. Although I think the first one is absolutely incredible. It's like the fastest hour and a half that you're ever going to see, pun intended. But this actually looks pretty cool, man. I mean, they got grappling hooks coming out of cars and shit. This, this will probably be that one. I know those that are diehards of the franchise. I've been reading their comments online. It seems that it's it's really garnering some negative attention so far. With that, this will probably be the one that I'm the most into. And when I say that, you know, we regularly talk about uh, my lack of depth when it comes to the theater. Uh, completely surprises everybody. Just blows people out of the water that I have never actually seen a Star Wars from start to finish. Uh, I can say that I have seen more Star Wars in my lifetime than I have Fast and Furious. So I'm completely out on this franchise. Uh, but it is, but you know, when you know when The Rock joined it, it, it sparked my interest. Obviously, anything kind of dealing, you know, with professional wrestling and this over-the-top passion that I have for that is going to pull me in a little bit. So I checked out bits and pieces of that. Always enjoy The Rock's work. And now that you had seen it into that fold. Certainly going to be checking this thing out. You know, the thing for me with Fast and the Furious is it's very much like pro wrestling, whereas like you just have to suspend your disbelief, believe that somebody can drive off the side of a cliff, shoot a grappling hook into a helicopter, swing around, shoot another grappling hook into another cliff, somehow land on all four wheels and take off running. It's like you just have to shut your brain off and just be like, that was pretty cool. Like that that's the whole purpose of this thing, right? And with pro wrestling, I'm is it just that we're jaded at this point because a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about when it comes to Monday Night Raw, Friday Night Smackdown, even some of the stuff that's happening on AEW, uh we're going to talk about NXT too and the problems inside of NXT. Like are we just over analyzing this thing at this point? No, I, no, certainly not. I think this is this is a great open. We didn't even really plan on this thing, but it's a great transition to a number of the topics that we have, you know, we have set up to discuss here on this record. But I think there's a major difference there, and you see a lot of times people try to make that comparison. Well, I don't see getting all upset when this happens in a movie. I mean, why do you hold professional wrestling to a different standard? And I think it's very fair to hold wrestling to a different standard because it represents a different style of entertainment because it blurs those lines bef- between sport between entertainment, between fiction and reality. It kind of stands alone in its own genre. And those, I mean, that's the very foundation that it was built on. And even when they had to pull back the curtain, they had to expose everything if it's because, you know, financially to avoid the state athletic commissions. If it was there to, you know, to really save Vince's ass in any kind of legal issue, whatever it might have been. 
whatever, you know, of multiple reasons that all kind of led to them pulling back this curtain. Still, professional wrestling is at its very best when it's relatable to real life, when it's relatable to sport, when it's relatable to entertainment, and a little bit of over-the-top fiction. When you can pick all of those ingredients together, put them in the pot, and create one hell of a tasty dish, that's what that's when professional wrestling works. And you don't get that from those other genres. They kind of stand alone on their own, and that's fine. They can represent that. They can they can knock it out of the park with what they bring to the table. But when it comes to taking all those ingredients, all those spices that are oh so nice and bringing them together, that's when professional wrestling is at its best. And that's why I continue to stand by it, that it is the greatest form of sport and entertainment that we have on this planet. Well said. Although I wish it was just a bit more sport and a little less dog food. But we'll get to the dog food here in just a little bit. Uh, let's start things off. John Cena did an interview recently, and I assume that this was actually promoting Fast and the Furious. I'm not sure. Um, I, I think it was with Sports Illustrated, actually. Uh, yeah, Sports Sports Illustrated promoting Fast and Furious. And then, you know, with it, it just kind of veered off. And they started asking, okay, it was just after the Rumble. So obviously you got John Cena, one of the you know, the, the greatest of all time, arguably, uh, the leader of his generation, the face of the WWE, which is the face of pro wrestling. You're, you're going to ask him a question like that. Yeah. So they started talking about the rumble. And when they brought up the rumble, John Cena calls Brock Lesnar, the goat, the greatest of all time, the best in ring performer of all time. Now, Huckleberry, before we talk about this quote, we have to establish, number one, who is the GOAT? And I, in my mind, there's absolutely zero question about this. It's Ric Flair. We can talk about number two, and John Cena's in that conversation, and Brock Lesnar's in that conversation. The AEW World Heavyweight Champion, Chris Jericho, absolutely belongs in that conversation. Do you agree with me? Is Ric Flair, in fact, the GOAT? Or are we just looking at this through rose-colored glasses? Well, I think there's a, a case of both. And just, you know, and one thing that kind of came to light is we're going to kind of make these these parallels here. You know, what what is the world, and especially the sports and entertainment world, devastated by right now? It is the, the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, you know, his daughter, and all the other passengers that were aboard, you know, the helicopter during I mean, just that horrific accident. But surrounding Kobe, well, you know, he was always involved in this same style of argument. Who's the greatest of all time? You know, is it Will? Is it Kareem? Is it Magic? Is it Jordan? Is it Kobe? Is it LeBron? Really, I think when you're talking about anyone looking through it through rose-colored glasses, you're going to have that perspective because it's what it personally means to you. I don't think there is a right answer for anything who is the greatest. If we're talking baseball, football, basketball, hockey, actors, cooks, whatever it might be, professional wrestling, it's going to be, you, you can probably tell this by generation. You and I are going to make strong, hard cases for Ric Flair because that's what we grew up on. And, and we've seen him transcend the industry where he crossed that line. But hell, you could make a point now that Ric Flair is bigger now as that crossover appeal, that crossover star has a wider draw now than he did back possibly in his prime in the eighties. Yeah, that's, that's a very valid point. And I, and we're seeing a lot of that. And 
even like in looking through rose colored glasses when it comes to the NBA, like I've always felt like Jordan is the goat, but I've, I've given it a lot of thought over the course of this last week and Jordan might be the greatest of all time, but I'm starting to feel like Kobe was the most influential of all time. When you look at a global scale and I think that case can be made for Brock Lesnar as well. What what I really like about Brock, and when we're talking about the greatest of all time in any genre, you know, one of the things I always like to look at is how would that individual fare in different eras, different times, different settings, atmospheres. One thing that's very remarkable with Brock Lesnar, and you can't say this about the others, or maybe not, you can't make as strong of a case as all the others when we start talking about the greatest of all time in professional wrestling, is that Brock Lesnar would dominate. He would draw, he would move numbers and be a megastar in any generation of professional wrestling. And I'm talking going back to the Carney days, the yeah. birth of professional wrestling, all the way through to the first golden boom, to the lulls, to you know, you're going through the 70s, 80s to get to the rock and wrestling, that next that next boom into the 90s, the next generation where you saw the emergence of WCW, the NWO, the Attitude Era, Ruthless Aggression, where we actually saw Brock, you know, in, even at, when he left. Anywhere, any territory, any era, Brock Lesnar would have been a top megastar. And if you think that we're just absolutely full of shit, think about it for a second. You wouldn't want to see Hackenschmidt versus Lesnar. You wouldn't want to see Bruno San Martino versus Brock Lesnar. You wouldn't want to see Andre the freaking giant against Brock Lesnar. Do you think Brock Lesnar could pick Andre up and take him to Suplex City? Can you imagine if you if they had the opportunity to build Andre the giant versus Brock Lesnar inside Madison Square Garden back in the 70s? God, it would have been huge. Uh, or, or what? I mean, what that would have done. I mean, we think now the stadium shows there. Where you did, you had uh, you had Bruno and Zabisco, right? And then you had Andre and Hogan there at Shea Stadium. I mean, what if you could have inserted Brock into any of those spots? Yeah. I mean, what that would have done for those large stadium shows. Or even going all the way back to the days of the shooters with Gotch and all that. Somebody like Brock Lesnar on the scene? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to – and you could probably say, okay, this individual would have a decent chance of, of, of stardom of surviving throughout all these years. But Brock Lesnar, he is definitely going to be a megastar in all of those, of those generations, the territories, whatever it might be to kind of go back to, you know, our point here, John Cena putting over Brock Lesnar in this way. And I loved it. When I saw this headline, I was like, Oh my God, Smarks heads are exploding. You could almost like, like steam coming out of their ears, you know, just that throbbing vein coming out of their neck. Oh my God, how could they say this? Because how much people, we hate success in this society and they, and they seemingly despise Brock Lesnar to the point, you know, even last year at WrestleMania, it wasn't about rooting on Seth Rollins. It was rooting against Brock Lesnar. And that's what we get in every case now because of this, whatever it is, this jealousy, this disdain toward him. But listening to Cena explain this, the way he lays it out makes perfect sense because in John Cena's eyes, he realizes what a true success in professional wrestling is. It's to be able to go out there and work, get a crowd motivated, move numbers, put asses in the seats, ultimately, you know, in, invoke emotion and make money. And Brock Lesnar does all that. Can you imagine how much bigger Hulk Hogan would have been 
if he would have had somebody like Brock Lesnar as his main adversary? Because as it was, Hogan's main adversary was Bobby the Brain Heenan. I mean, that that was the major bad guy that was against Hogan. No matter who it was, Heenan was in their corner. Could you imagine if Bobby Heenan would have been the manager for Brock Lesnar? Hogan would have been huge. Had there been a Brock Lesnar, would we have a Hulk Hogan? Who would have occupied that top spot? Well, I mean, Hogan would have been the babyface chasing Lesnar, you know, but you have to have that dominant heel champion for a babyface to chase. That was the problem with Hogan. He was a babyface champion on top for what felt like forever because it was basically like in the Super Bowl. We're going to see it tomorrow with the San Francisco 49ers. It's running back by commission. They've got like six different running backs on that team. That's basically the way that the heels were back in the Hogan heyday. It was just happened that Bobby Heenan was the head coach of all those heels. Well, it's, it's, you're exactly right, Drug. I mean, you, we look at this thing. It was, okay, we've got through. It, I, the early on, you, you had the appeal there with Piper, who was just that ultimate antagonist. You know, he, he was that pesky twerp that you just, you wanted to see him get beat up because he was so good at what he did. But he, you know, he'd align himself with some other individuals, uh, I think in Cowboy Bob Orton and all that, and he had Mr. Wonderful Turn. But then we get into that run of big men. Okay, you got 15 years, you know, the build 15-year undefeated Andre the Giant, which sets everything afire at WrestleMania three when, when those two, you know, just mountains collide. But from there, then you what? You go on the King Kong Bundy. You know, and then he's he's continuing to have this off and on program where he really just can't shake Andre. And then once Andre kind of gets past that prime, it's okay. Where in the world of professional wrestling can we just find big men to insert into this? So you go find a Sid Vicious, a Sid Justice in WWE. You go find an Earthquake. You know the Kamalas and all that. Just these behemoths that look like, and it had to have been difficult to find individuals where you could have some sympathy on what a six six three hundred and. 55 rip SOB and Hogan. Yeah. And you're in, and who, and who do they always rely on to get those individuals over? No, it was Bobby, the brain heat. And occasionally, I think the only one that really comes to mind, it really wasn't involved there. Maybe what every now and then you'd sprinkle in a Jimmy Hart cause he had earthquake. Right. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, Heenan had start transitioning away from the manager role when Sid really got involved. So you, you slide in a Harvey Whippleman. But it, it was always that someone that had to play that role of Heenan if it wasn't Heenan, and nobody was better at it than him, is, is the ultimate you know, foil villain to you know, Super Hulk Hogan. So here's a quote from John Cena. I know it's an opinion, and if you want a cool quote, here it is. I think he's the best in-ring performer of all time. Cena expands on his comments, calling Brock's rumble dominance an absolute quote-unquote masterclass. I thought his performance at the rumble was a clinic on how to establish yourself, how to establish those around you, establish the championship, establish the importance of one event. He did so in less than 30 minutes, and I certainly don't have the skill set to do that. He's got one hell of a point. He's got a hell of a point. He's one of the most giving performers in the WWE, and that is the mark of a true craftsman and a true professional. It was awesome to watch. My jaw dropped when I watched the Rumble. Rick, I, I kind of went back and forth on the Brock Lesnar Rumble because at first I absolutely loved it. Then I grew bored of it. 
And then I absolutely loved it again. And this is actually one of those comedic devices that we see so many stand-up comedians use. I mean, George Carlin would do callbacks for days where it was like you would run a joke into the freaking ground and people were like, oh, this is just, yeah, do you got anything else? And then he would just keep hammering it and hammering it and hammering it until it was funny again. That's exactly what I got out of Brock Lesnar during his performance inside of the Royal Rumble. And see, it works in that aspect where they were able to, they had you, they lost you, they brought you back. For me, as you know, we talked about on the review show on the Monday locker room. Now, I was finding, you know, little subtleties to continue to enjoy throughout that entire run. You know, even individuals that I knew had no shot of doing anything, but I, I found myself just in there and said, okay, can Cesaro at least get a couple uppercuts in? And will what will the effect will they have? On Brock, I was trying to find enjoyment in that and seeing those guys that were are likely never going to have an opportunity on a stage like that, a marquee event to stand there toe to toe with Lesnar. They're not going to have those. It was cool to see that for me. So I found enjoyment in that. And then overall, the story they were telling, I, I thought was incredible with John Cena, the way that he presents this thing, agree or disagree. John Cena has proven one thing. He's not a Mark Tard. And that's what we talk about. That's what describes it is an individual. We don't have to agree on our, our different takes here. But when you come to the table with something, have some substance to back it up. Make some sort of sense and some kind of argument in your favor. John Cena, the way he presents this here, absolutely hit the mark. But, you know, a lot of these individuals out there read that headline without clicking the article or looking for the quote. And then and, and right now they're looking like the morons. And he did it again on Monday. Like he made Drew McIntyre at the Royal Rumble. Drew McIntyre is absolutely a made man now. So Monday on Raw, Drew McIntyre comes out and he cuts his speech. He challenges Brock Lesnar. We get Anderson and Gallows come out and Brock just squashes the best tag team in the world. If you want to talk about the damage that that did to the club and kind of by association, AJ Styles, we can do that. But then Brock Lesnar comes out and F5s Drew McIntyre. He put Drew over again in doing so because now we know Brock Lesnar views Drew McIntyre as such a threat to not only that championship, but his place inside the company as that number one guy. When's the last time you saw Brock Lesnar sneak attack somebody? He put Drew over huge on Monday. Absolutely. I mean, it's rare that you see anything from that, you know, like that from Brock. And this is a gentleman that stands in there against anybody. You know, Kane Valquez, The Undertaker, Braun Strowman, you know, the biggest and baddest there are. But now he's showing, I wouldn't say signs of weakness, but concern that Drew McIntyre might actually have what it takes to take his spot at the top of the mountain. And Brock takes a lot of shit, and he takes a lot of shit from guys like the former Dean Ambrose, right? Because we heard about all the things that Brock Lesnar did not want to do in that WrestleMania match against Ambrose. I'm going to keep calling him Ambrose in a WWE context. Hindsight 2020, after seeing what Moxley and Kenny Omega did at Full Gear, which contained a lot of the same elements that Moxley wanted to incorporate into that Ambrose versus Lesnar match, 
Brock Lesnar was right to be like, nope, I'm not doing that. He was absolutely right. And we gave him a whole bunch of shit for it. Well, you really got to think too, you know, this is about, again, this goes back to financials and doing less can be more inside the ring. And that's exactly what you get with a Brock Lesnar. So why is he going to go out there? Jeopard guys, just not, you know, physical being, not even mental being, but just where his stance is in this company. Why would you go out there and give away all the all of this BS that you see? Give away all these spots. Let's get all this shit in. If you're Brock Lesnar, you realize, okay, if I go do that here, now I got to continue to do that. Yeah. Now we got to keep this entire thing up. We got to keep this flowing. Which you know, a lot of people are buzzing, and we're, we're going to hit on this here in a moment. You know, a lot of people are buzzing about the close on Monday Night Raw, but now you now we're left asking a question. Okay, did you give too much away here? You know, did was this thing structured properly? Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about the Edge and Orton thing because you know, for literally years now, you've been telling me, "Oh, that's just Randy being Randy." Are you going to try to tell me this was not a heel turn on Monday Night? Well, I think this is going to another level, absolutely. And this is getting that ultimate heat. And I think to, for him, for Randy, is Randy still being Randy? But you needed somebody like Edge to come in here to take even Randy to a darker place. Because this is something that actually you can tell means something to the persona of a Viper, Randall K. Orton. Okay, now, I guess this is my question about this entire angle. Because you asked, did they give too much away? It depends on the end game, right? I mean, because I think there's a lot of us that are looking at this thing and thinking the end game is WrestleMania, right? That's when we're going to get the big payoff to Edge versus Randy Orton. I'm wondering if that was the plan. And then on Monday, the crown prince calls up Vince and says, hey, Edge is back. I want him at Crown Jewel. Like, are, are we accelerating this entire thing? Are we going to see this match at the end of February in Saudi Arabia rather than at WrestleMania? So we had to move it along at this pace? Uh, okay, I, I'll give you that. Let's say they do make that move. I don't think it would have been a shotgun call or, you know, a Monday morning armchair quarterback call here. I Everyone involved knew about Edge's return. I mean, we heard the rumors and all this, and you got to believe the, the figures, the financials that came out of this and these dates that are included in this three-year deal. I, I believe it's, what was it, 12 dates or something like that or five dates. I, I, I know MLCA has reported it there. I, I just can't recall off the top of my head. But uh, so-and-so dates, so for three years, you got to believe that a lot of that money, that backing that's coming from that is appearances in Saudi. Because Edge has probably just hit the television screens over there. He's just debuting with the brood. So, you know, he's going to pick up that steam. He's going to be a, a young, hot commodity within three years in Saudi Arabia. I love you for so that. Absolutely, so absolutely, they're going to want him. They're, they're catching on with these edge heads. Oh, that's fantastic. But even, but even in so if, okay, so you want to you wanna really fire it up here between Orton and Edge. But what does that do for Edge going forward? What, what does that do for his next opponent? Then what's the what's how do you raise those stakes? I mean, it was devastating what we saw there. So in in that sense, yeah, I, again, I think they gave away too much. You know, even in watching it, and what really got me, yes, in that moment, I did. You know, I was on the edge of my seat. I, I was eager to see where this thing was going. It was intense, but I started questioning 
what I was watching in real time while it, while it was happening. And then more so as I've gone back and watched it again and again and again, it's something just didn't seem, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't sitting easy with me. And it got me thinking, you know, is this, is the WWE just continually hitting us with this lowest common denominator booking that now when we get something that's subpar that we're accepting mediocrity is, is excellence or is exciting. You know, if you go, if you go old school OVW training, one of the finest schools that's ever existed, professional wrestling, you know, now owned and run by Al Snow and you continue there. They're, they're creating, you know, it's today. See today's, or tomorrow's superstars today. That's the place to be. What you're going to learn there is you've got so much time. Once your once your segment starts, you're on the clock. And this is directly coming from Jim Cornette. You're on the clock. And how many of us were wondering, okay, why? Where where the hell is Edge's friends? Where, where's Beth? Where, where's anyone that respects him? Where are the baby faces? So they're sitting there drawing this thing out, and it's Jim Cornette saying, you know, you're on the clock. Where the hell were all these people? You know, it's the same thing, Jargo. If if we're out and about somewhere, and you're getting your ass assaulted, and you know that people like myself and Big Ray and, and Stevie and Ben and the Redneck and BRV and Strangler Steve, not only are we on the property, not even in a back room, we have access to see what's happening. We're seeing you be assaulted. Aren't you going to be a little pissed off? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that completely crossed my mind. But the other thing that crosses my mind with that is we have to remember Edge has been gone for nine years. I mean, this this is more the equivalent of you walking into a bar there in Cincinnati that you haven't been in in a decade and you think you might recognize a couple of people in the bar, and then you start getting your ass kicked and nobody comes to help you because nobody knows who you are. And that was very much the impression that I got. Like, Kevin Owens, he has no connection to Edge. Samoa Joe, he has no connection to Edge. Like, you got to go all the way back to, like, the Mysterio guys. No, no, no. Come on. Okay, two points here. Yeah, the first person you mentioned, Kevin Owens, right? Man, those Canadians roll tighter than Puerto Ricans. Okay, that's that's your that's your national brotherhood. Where the hell are you at? And the last thing you said there, Ray Mysterio. He was on WWE.com footage with Edge helping him out in the stretcher. Yeah, but the last thing Ray Mysterio is going to do is go out there and pick a fight. All he does is get his ass kicked every week. Ray, you've got you've got the backing. You are and this isn't like you're just a Johnny come lately. Now, I could see if somebody just showed up from from NXT. Humberto. Someone's been running. Humberto. Like Humberto's getting his ass beat. Yeah, I could see. All right, somebody like Humberto. You know, I, I can understand. Hey, at least Humberto had officials run out and try to help him when he's getting DDT'd in the concrete. That was the one that bugged me. Like, where were the officials? Where was the security? Why is everybody just letting Randy do this? Why? Yeah, why are we just allowing this assault here? I mean, and you've got somebody that we all know how sensitive this is and and I get that. That's the emotion. That's what really in, invokes that emotion to get people highly sensitive towards this thing because it is. I mean, it it gets you even if you know you know in your you know deep down inside he's okay. He got the medical clearance, but there's that little bit of doubt that you have in you, and that's what makes it. it that's what makes it so intriguing. 
That's what, go back to what we were talking about top of the show. That's what makes wrestling so great. That's what makes it so different from the movies because that element exists inside pro wrestling. That element can exist inside sports. That's what, that's what they have in common. It, that exists in pro wrestling. That's the heartbeat of pro wrestling. So you have all that there. And then I thought it went a little over the top as well. As I said, you know, what's next here? I mean, and then especially once we get through Randy, if it's at blood money, and then we're getting rumor that now we might get some kind of tag match at WrestleMania. So this might be a, a, a there might be a few chapters in this story. You can't do but that. Where, where do they continue to up this ante? I, I, I got to cut you off there. You can't do that. You can't do a singles match at blood money. And then do a tag match at WrestleMania. That just doesn't. You can do it the other way around. Right. I was going to say it's backwards booking. Yeah. I mean, you, you can easily do Edge and Christian versus Randy and somebody that trusts Randy for some stupid reason. Um, that's what really makes me wonder about this whole blood money thing. Because I, if it was me, all right, I would have put back together rated RKO. And I would have had them challenging for the tag team championships at like the elimination chamber. And that's where you would have done this angle is there building to WrestleMania. It, it, I feel like this was an accelerated timeline so that we can do this in Saudi instead of at WrestleMania. It, it will be interesting. And then even then you're selling yourself short. I mean, obviously, yeah. I, I, Again, the Saudis aren't really into tune with going. You don't have to give them the singles match. Give them the tag match. Agreed. And sell it. And sell it to them. Hey, okay, we're not just going to give you two legendary superstars. We've also got Christian coming back. And then we're going to go find. We're going to find somebody to, that would actually team up with with Randy Orton. We're going to bring him back. It have to be. It have to be Hunter or Batista, right? I, I you'd have to think so. Uh, I guess in some weird way. Well, even with the injury now, you'd be kind of pressed if, if that's even possible would be AJ Styles. Just yeah. so you could kind of, you know, keep that kind of that theme rolling. Everybody very excited about, you know, that stare down between him and Edge and the Rumble. Uh, but that doesn't look like that's probably going to be a possibility. But yeah, uh, Triple H is right there. I mean, you don't have to worry about overpaying him. That's going to be one of his, you know, obligation. He's probably going to be on the Saudi card anyway. Right. You, you could bring that there. Uh, it, you can make that easy tie. Triple H can be like, I haven't seen that hunger in you since evolution. you know the young days of evolution. Yep. Uh, you know that hunger, that hunger, that fire in you is what caused me to turn on you. I like it. I'll stand by you in Saudi because I never liked these two anyway. Yeah. I mean, what what, what was the the nickname for uh, Christian? Creepy little bastard. Yeah. You know. Maybe you could get Gangrel to tag with Randy Orton. Well, and then, you know, the other one, I mean, you know how busy he is, but damn. I mean, he's going into the Hall of Fame. I'm sure if you could throw a mill at Batista, he'd make a trip over there and right? work a crap tag match for you. Yeah, absolutely. It. That's why I can't really judge this segment without knowing where it's going. You know, I don't know if I like this or not. My biggest thing in there, you know, is even if you got a couple weeks to build this, I mean, you could then you have you intensify the violence where Randy realizes, okay, you know my my devilish plot to take him out. It was thwarted by all these all these other assholes. Now I got to figure out a way as a as a snake is to corner him to make sure he's alone. I just they just did too much 
on that night. But again, you know, it was effective in that moment. People are buzzing about it. It you know, was fantastic. Seeing, I mean, whether, whether it was the right timing or not, the segment itself was fantastic. Like the acting by Randy Orton and Edge, the segment I thought was great. I just questioned the timing of it. Two absolute pros and stars right there. I mean, I don't think you could have got that performance out of any two people that were in that building. I don't think you could have got that performance out of Edge nine years ago. I think that the reason this was so effective was all the Hollywood stuff that Adam Copeland has done, whether it be Vikings or he had that other show on the CW for a little while. Like, let's not forget that he is a professional actor at this point. That was some of the best acting I've ever seen out of Edge. Yeah, like it's just, you know, to me that why wasn't there someone there? I mean, you, you could have taken this a little bit, but yeah, for the talents themselves, brilliant. Yeah, creative wise, creative wise, our standards have become so low when it comes to WWE that this seemed like, oh my God, this is the best thing they've done in 10 years. But when you really take a step back and it's okay to take that step back and look at this thing and kind of, you know, point out where this thing could have been better. It's okay to expect better from something you care about. On the other hand, I mean, you, you want to talk about the, our, our low standards. Let's talk about the women's division and what they did on Monday Night Raw. Charlotte is a complete fucking mess. This whole thing with Charlotte is an absolute train wreck. She comes out there. She heals on everybody. She, she even like pulls back what had been promised that she's going to name the challenge. And then they bring out Asuka and Kyrie, who are clearly heels, and Charlotte works freaking babyface. Like, what in the hell is going on with Charlotte? How am I supposed to feel about Charlotte? Because at this point, I genuinely have no freaking idea. And I think Charlotte is almost you know, one of the two, because I have the same issues with Becky, that I think they are completely missing the mark on you know how we're supposed to truly feel about these individuals or the, the true potential for them to to hit you know greatness if it be in a baby or a heel role it's hard to define what we're supposed to get from them and we get this week after week with with Sharshar you know she comes out she has she regularly point out she has the most heel entrance in WWE yeah, she comes out. She's above everybody. She's the queen. Come and hold the fucking ropes open for me. Take off my robe. Like, what? The, that is completely a heel act. And then we continue to to pair her up. Her dance partners are obviously trying to be sold as heels. And then when the bell rings, Charlotte's smiling and working the audience and, and trying to you know take you know play take the high road, playing the good guy. What the hell is the deal here? You, you know, I understand with her. She is, she is a talking head for you now. She is an ambassador. I mean, look at her right now. She's all over Super Bowl week. All over the place. I, I do have to point out, you know, I think she's looking fantastic. I mean, she, she's looking great this weekend. She's, and she's looking like, like slutty hot. Believe me, that's not a knock because RBV loves slutty hot. That's what, that's what she's looking like down there. It, but, she, you know, she's making all those rounds. But then inside that ring, when you're you're trying to present her in this way, in this one light where she is this great ambassador, you want people to respect her and look up to her and, tr and tr hopefully become some kind of crossover star. 
but you're confusing that with what we're getting a, as a character in the the general audience, the general universe. They're getting lost in that. I had this conversation with our, our good friend, the nerd from the Voices of Misery podcast the other day. He was talking about how much he loved Charlotte in some thread. And so I sent him a DM and I was like, tell me what it is that you love about Charlotte. And he's like, well, she's just a star. Like you watch all those other women and she comes out there and the way she presents herself, she is a star. And then you watch the way that she goes in the ring and he's going on and on and on. And I was like, okay, so you just told me all the things that you like about Ashley Fleer. What do you like about Charlotte? Because the the Charlotte character, there's nothing likable about her. Well, it, it, here's what they need to do. I mean, they have access. And I wanted to bring this up somewhere on the show because I've been struggling with this. I was actually going to ask you know, anybody to, you know, to hit me up on social media at the real RBV because I've been, I re-upped the WWE Network. Uh, I just got frustrated with my stream during the Rumble. I had one of those, you know, please come back coupons that I've been saving. So I was like, to hell with it. You know, I'll sign up and it's got to remember to cancel this thing after a month. And But now I have access to it. I'm going back and I'm looking for things to watch. I'm having a hell of a time finding anything. And I'm not somebody – and I love going back and watching like old school territory stuff. So that's what I've been going through. And this is what's the matches. I'm, I'm in there looking for their production values, how they're shooting different things. What angles are they running? You know, what is old that could be new, that could work today, that could mainly work you know, on the independent level with some of the promotions that I'm working with, and especially in production. So I'm studying those. But outside of that, I, I, like when it comes to the specials and those features, I'm having a hell of a time finding anything to watch just because I don't trust to watch it through, through WWE's eyes. Or they're retelling. But when it comes to someone, you know, like like Charlotte, and we're talking about that disconnect for the persona of Charlotte Flair, it's real simple. You have got an entire vault of what made her dad so fantastic, what made him the nature boy, what made him the the arguably the goat, the long, you know, the 16-time champ, the, the guy that was moving those numbers. And it was, you know, it's very simple. You had somebody, yes, that that was a villain. I mean, it was a downright villain. You never would have trusted them, but you envied them. So you want to get somebody in there that that your female fans they might not necessarily like as much, but they're going to find things in there like, man, I, I, mean, I wish I could have that. I wish I could be that could be my lifestyle. And then you, you know the guys too. You know they're going to feel that way, but they just they want to be with you. Like you're their dream girl. That's what Flair was. You have to find just a little way to capture that. With Charlotte Flair, if you want to, you know, replicate what her dad brought to the game. And, and right now you always hear this, oh, you know, it's going to be a time where, you know, we're talking about Rick's just Charlotte's dad and, and she's going to pass him. Well, that might, they might be able to tell that story through their own, through their own eyes and their own skewed version of history. But the reality is the way it's going, she's never going to capture that because they're not giving her those opportunities to use that charisma. Yeah. Completely agreed. Uh, you brought up Becky. I wanted to talk about her too, um, because of, she's another one at this point that I'm just, what the hell's going on with Becky Lynch? Because that promo Monday night on raw, if you were, if you were a first time viewer, first time tuning in to Monday night raw and Becky cuts that promo, she turns around. She's got goat on the back of her coat 
you would clearly think that she's a heel. And turning Becky heel at this point is just absolutely asinine. And I keep hearing people telling me, oh, no, no, it's the confidence. The confidence is what got her over to begin with. No, she got over because the audience rejected the direction of the Becky character and said, no, fuck that. You're not turning her heel. We love Becky Lynch. I don't understand what they're doing with Becky because I felt like that promo Monday was a complete mess. You know, it, it, this has been a disaster for a while. And going back last week, we were talking, you know, we're looking at the Rumble match in the direction of Becky Lynch. And this has been coming for a while. But her rise to the top here, I mean, she she really fell into this situation. You know, they were trying to force her into the heel role against Charlotte, who just, I mean, the universe is realizing they, they don't want to embrace her as the baby face that is trying to be pushed at times. They want to they wanna lean towards heel Charlotte because, you know, it's someone that they're, they're going to, they want to love to hate, but they just can't get it. As we're just talking about you. They can't get it through their head with Charlotte. So they do this teeter totter game with her. So Becky gets this opportunity. And at this point too, they've already, they have completely, completely messed up any possibility of success with Bailey. Uh, people were also growing tired of Sasha and now, you know, through social media reports and fan interaction, they're starting to see her for what she is. And they, they don't want to be able to to cheer her. So and they don't even really at that time don't even want to be involved with her. They and are growing tired of the two year run back and forth, the flip flopping of the titles between Sasha and Charlotte. So at that point, you have to you kind of default to that fourth horsewoman, which is Becky. That's fine. She she does have value. I'm not overly crazy about her in the ring. I think she's very robotic. I, I'm not even all that big on her delivering her promos. But those are things that she can improve. I'm not as naive, especially as a marketing guy. I see that. Damn, there's money to be made here. What can we do to take this thing full throttle and get every penny we can, every little nugget of gold out of this mine? And it seems that they have completely missed the ball in this thing in every direction with her, from pandering to audiences to trying to be this spokesman for this entire women's movement. That's not what you want from Becky. You want Becky, you want her to be that take charge, that loner, that stone cold s kind of persona that's going to kick ass. You know, one of the most powerful things they just missed on here was a, a hot topic with her is when she went on uh, was it backstage, mm -hmm. and she made you know the comment, well, you know, I think it's time that, that we get rid of women, and she and she even kind of back paddled on that a little bit. It wasn't saying that not so much equality. She was just. So, you know, I'm just so we're, we're thought of in the same light. Maybe we get as many matches on the card. I mean, that's all a line of bullshit in itself, but not as, you know, it, I don't think it was the, the original statement was, I think it was taken out of context by some individuals, but how much more meaning of it would have been, yeah, we can remove the word woman from the titles or whatever, but, but I want to call this title the raw, the man's, we got a men's champion. This is the man's, it's my championship. You can just call this the Becky Lynch championship because she's talking about her kicking ass. She sets the rules. She draws the line in the sand. Instead of this, oh, begging Asuka, you're the last debt I have to collect. I'm, I'm asking you to come out here. No, ass kickers don't do that. People that take charge, alphas don't do that. She does, She's not projecting herself as an alpha, except in this lame O 2020 snowflake way. And it's, people are eating it up, yes. But is it is it the right way? Again, this goes back to, mediocrity is being accepted as a hot 
program and direction in today's WWE. And the other thing that happened was when she started talking about the company protecting her from Asuka. You are rebelling against the company. That's literally the whole basis of your fucking character. And now you're just like the corporate stooge. Well, guess what? We don't like corporate stooges. We want to see corporate stooges get their ass kicked. And now you're starting to see people are rallying behind Asuka. Because she's going to go kick the corporate stooges ass. Well, you've got Asuka going out there right now, but we're starting to see that people are starting to see through Becky. You're st- that 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 dam starting to crack. Uh, it's been a long time coming with Charlotte. So who do we continue to run out there against them? It's the firecracker, the buzzsaw, Asuka. Yeah. And she's out there like she just doesn't give a damn right now. She's trying to recapture what she once had before what we all know. And this is those blurred lines. What we all know was taken away from her by corporate. Yep. Because she suddenly has become the anti-authority baby face. Because Becky is part of the authority at this point. She's being protected by the powers that be, if you want to go there. It's just, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Kind of like what happened on SmackDown. Again, inside of the women's division, Bailey's out there and she's running her mouth about how she's beaten everybody on SmackDown. Congratulations, that's like three different women. Naomi comes out and interrupts her and says, well, you ain't beat me. You know why you ain't being beat? Because you haven't been on fucking TV for eight goddamn months. You know what really got me in that segment? Okay, Naomi's coming out. She's got, you know, hey. You were one of the jogger, you were the one that pointed it out, and you were surprised by it. Was it, the reaction that she got during her return at the Rumble? Yeah, nice pop. And, and Naomi, I mean, she's she's got a very unique look, she's very marketable because you want to hit those different demographics. And, and she's got a personality, she's athletic, she's got the charisma, she's what you want out of a female superstar in the WWE. But again, here in this situation, she's coming out here. She's on fire. I'm back, baby. I just, I just had a hot run in that rumble that this, I, the WWE universe has, has rejuvenated her. She felt that energy. The glow is ready to go. She comes out, but instead of going directly towards her target, Bailey, we get like what? Like a five-minute dance routine. You got to finish the whole damn thing while Bailey's standing there like a fool. Yeah, she's like my chemical Bailey at this point. She's just like a 90s emo kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I was sitting there like, okay, is I see Naomi hit those splits with that big old smile on her face. I'm like, okay, barely grab her by the back of the hair and hit her with a reverse DDT. Right. Start stopping her in the ground. Or, you know, if, if you're Naomi, we don't need, okay, do your little thing to get in the ring. Remind everyone that because yes, it is sports entertainment. You got to have your over the top entrance. Okay. We know that we don't need you to finish in the ring, get in the ring and get the business. Let her know that you're serious. You're not here for a dance-off. You're here for a championship opportunity. Even better than that, here's a better fucking idea. Just have Naomi come out and beat Dana Brooke in four fucking minutes. Next week, she comes out and she beats Carmella in five fucking minutes. The next week, she comes out and she beats Tamina in six minutes. And suddenly... Naomi's on a winning streak. And, you know, this women's division's pretty thin. Maybe we should be looking at Naomi versus Bailey for a big women's championship match. 
Come out and actually fucking do something other than run your goddamn mouth when you haven't been on TV in months. What does, what, why does Naomi deserve a title opportunity? Because she stood on a fucking table for 20 minutes during the rumble? She wasn't even in the match in this hot run that she had. She fucking stood there. Like six different women come out. And I'm thinking to myself, just go over and tip over the fucking table. What's she going to do about it? Like, it, it, this, it just the logic makes no sense whatsoever. This would be like all of a sudden, like, let's say the Lakers make it to the finals, right? And the Lakers beat... Milwaukee in the finals. They win the NBA championship. And all of a sudden, Gary Payton and Sean Kemp come out in fucking Sonics jerseys and they want a shot at the championship. Like, what the fuck? That doesn't make any goddamn sense. Neither did this segment on SmackDown. You know, you know what? That, if that happened, they come out with Dentless Trip and the old Sonics crew. I am popping like a motherfucker. Yeah, you Let's damn right. You're popping. You bet. Absolutely. <laughs> Like, no, I didn't. I didn't pop at this thing on SmackDown. I'd be popping for that challenge in the NBA. I mean, it's just but, hey, hey, again, nine ninety nine, guys. You work there, you get it for free. Go back and watch any of the territories, any of the old, you know, promotions that have died out. What's old can be new, and it works. It's called winning matches to build yourself up towards a championship. Yeah, I know. Just fucking rocket science, right? And it's so crazy because they're doing that on Monday Night Raw. And Tuesdays on SmackDown, they have people challenging for titles who haven't been on TV in six months, eight months, whatever the fuck it's been. And we're still doing this stupid dog food angle with Roman Reigns and King Fuckface. Why is this not over yet? What about this is good? This thing, this thing was so many kinds of wrong, uh, absolutely terrible as soon as they make this announcement, you know, it's, as you can see now, you know, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm just using my thumb and my index finger and just kind of, you know, pinching. You're doing between the Russo. My eyes. You're doing it, the yeah. Russo. That's what I bro, call it. Bro, bro, this was so bad. So bad. This was terrible. You know, what the first things I thought of, okay, you've been playing up this dog shtick the whole time. I mean, was, was the hit? On the stock, I mean, there was the stock being taken around and buried like a bone in the backyard. Was it so bad that you couldn't pony up and pay a couple bucks to recreate the the dog kennel from hell match? I mean, we just had to go straight to the Alpo. I mean, that they even went. I mean, this is some some fucking low level indie shit, and it could work there. I mean, hell, I could even see them doing this at house shows to try to just get that little pop there for those little audiences, town to town, and, and words catching on, you know, the, the grassroots campaign. Oh, they're coming to they're coming to Iowa, Jarga. You want to go see somebody get dog shit dumped on them? I mean, that, that might work in some cases. But for this thing to actually make it to the Fox Network Friday night between 8 and 10 p.m. in 2020, is a freaking embarrassment. And to be referred to as a fetish. Like, what kind of weird-ass shit are you into that you're just burying somebody under wet dog food? Like, I mean, I've, I've seen some weird fucking porn over the course of my years, but dog food? I, yesterday, we were having a conversation 
uh, I don't know if it was over in in the office where you know the the minds of the minds have our conversations, or if it actually was over in on Facebook and Hami Media Discussion Group. But actually, I think it was just on his timeline. I think it was MSG. You know, he's talking about uh, you know, do you have to pay your dues in porn? Like, do you start with grannies and like obese orgies before you get to like the hot people? And we were kind of going back and forth here. I, it, and I mentioned there, like, you know, I, I think those would be the bigger paydays because, you know, it's not the actors are probably aren't in as demand. And there's a lot of weird fetishes out there. Believe me, I watch a lot of weird shit on Pornhub. But not once ever have I ever, ever considered searching for like a dog food bath. Yeah, I just never. I don't and, understand. And then, then I'm having this conversation. Obviously, you know, it's part of the act. It all costs you. You think I get on that at times where, you know, it's shill, Vickery, shill. I mean, there's there's no one when it comes to a WWE show that's anywhere in the same stratosphere as the Professor AOC from the PW Hustle. And for him, he, he, he regularly, you can't have a conversation with him without him. Well, 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 so-and-so, well, they do it on, on the Mud Shark Indie shows. Well, AEW did something like this, blah, blah, blah. Or what, they, what about in the night in 92? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about comparisons. We are talking about a standard set by WWE in 2020 in this society where their competition is major sports and major entertainment. They are on a prime spot on a tremendous network. Yeah, I understand they've had working relationships with Fox in the past and WWE's done crazy things in the past. Wrestling's done crazy things. We're not talking about that. We are talking about, you know, contents is king. We got to look at this situation here. Where they're at, it what even is more embarrassing, not that they just went through with this thing where there's dog food involved, it was the emphasis the, and the importance that they tried to stress on this thing throughout the show. You listen to Michael Cole, I mean, the way he's putting this thing over, it completely, okay, forget the TLC match that we tell you is one of the most devastating things, dynamic and devastating matches you're going to see inside of WWE. Forget uh, a falls count anywhere, anything goes match inside of a baseball stadium. Now, all that, yeah, that was fine and dandy, but what really pays off, you got to tune in Friday night to SmackDown because we're going to give someone a bath and dog food. And they got they got an SOB up there doctoring it up the whole time, like stirring the pot between commercial breaks and all this. Give me a break. If anybody has a dog food fetish, it's clearly Mitchell Cole. I mean, nobody in the history of the world has been more excited about anything than Mitchell Cole was about Baron Corbin getting covered in dog food. And you know where this comes from? Who's in his ear? This entire thing oh, about... Oh, that's popping, good shit, pal. Popping a 74-year-old man who thinks that this is the presentation and this is how you need to show people what professional wrestling, what sports entertainment is in 2020. And I, I was regularly just saying this through the live discussions. Thank God I'm at home by myself in the dark watching this and not out in public and then convinced somebody to put this on a television where I have everybody looking over at me saying, what the hell are you doing? You actually, you actually are involved in any way with something like this? Absolutely embarrassing. And again, well, you know, what, what about the days like the uh, the kiss my foot? That's fine. Those are garbage gimmicks, too. We're not begging for those to come back. You know, when we ask for nostalgia, when we're saying we want the good old days, 
We're talking about traditional storytelling. Like, Jerry, like you just said about people winning matches and earning championships and personal conflicts and personas. We're not talking about bullshit gimmicks. We can leave that in the past. We want the good stuff. I've never heard anyone saying, God damn, you know what they really need in professional wrestling today? We need someone to give birth to a hand. Good no, we, say we need someone like The Rock. We need an ass kicker like Stone Cold. And the worst part of this entire conversation is the fact that according to Showbuzz Daily, the episode drew 2.424 million viewers, a 0.7 rating in the 18 to 49 demographic, which was number one for the evening. First hour did 2.529 million viewers. Second hour, 2.318. So at least 200,000 people had enough common sense to turn this fucking show off. This, of course, down from last week's episode on Fox that had an average of 2.470 viewers with a 0.7 rating in the 18 to 49 demo. Rick, there was some decent stuff on this show. You did have Miz and Morrison winning the Fatal 4-Way to become number one contenders for the tag titles, which is going to happen in Saudi Arabia. Um, We also had Mandy and Otis. Like, Mandy and Otis is about the line of the amount of bullshit I will tolerate on a show like this. Like, at least this, I feel like this has a place. They're doing the Beauty and the Beast storyline, and I think it's absolutely tremendous. It doesn't require a whole lot of time. doesn't require a 15-minute match with somebody getting covered in dog food. You can get at least three weeks out of the damn thing. That, I thought, was good. And then, also, almost as insulting as the dog food angle was Braun Strowman capturing his first taste of WWE singles gold and winning the Intercontinental Championship from the 199-day reign of Shinsuke Nakamura when he probably defended that title maybe all of twice. But the thing that really pisses me off about this, this entire dog food thing took up like 20 minutes of SmackDown Shinsuke Nakamura versus Braun Strowman with the Intercontinental Championship not only on the line but changing hands gets five fucking minutes. Yeah, and hardly a mention, just in passing to build this thing up. You said we, we get this entire dog thing set up, which even inside of itself was kind of absurd at the beginning. Uh, so it's one of those things, too, where that, that rough reality of wrestling. The babies come out. They're cutting their promo. Uh, okay, hopefully the he- let's, let's entice the heels to come out. All right, let's get them to, to bite on a champion or on a six man match, and then we're just going to throw the stipulation. I, I'll give you. We can stretch this that that the babies played the heels that they were they were got a little too cocky and played in to what the good guys wanted wanted to do here. Did they play the creepy stirring guy too? <sighs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you just kind of have you know all that cookware. I, it, I don't know. But, all right, I guess okay. The Usos, the 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 brilliant minds of the Usos, you know, the brilliant mind of the out. Usos. There's a sentence that should never be uttered ever. Was was it a brilliant idea when they got wasted and drove the wrong way down a one way in Detroit? Like was that was that from the brilliant mind of the Usos? Or maybe it was the face paint gimmick that they did for like five years. Was that from the brilliant mind of the Usos? Hey, I'm not saying I'm totally on board that I'm saying, all right, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> I'll give you the stretch, okay? I'll buy into this. But th- I mean, this thing eats up. No, this thing eats up in itself uh 15, 17 minutes at the open. 
And then you have regular, oh my God, that stench. Can you believe that? And we're getting Betty Crocker over there, stirring the dog food the entire time. So I think it went way well over what you're, I mean, just what the match gave us. I mean, this thing was probably half the show. And that's what killed me about this. On a weekend where you got people tuning in, I mean, the, a, a huge emphasis on the sports aspect as you're gearing up. It's just the same show where you're pitching the big game on Fox, the Super Bowl on Fox. You've got everyone, you know, mourning Kobe and, and wanting to celebrate his life and all this. And this is what you're giving us here. And exactly to go back to time, which Sandra Jarrell, we've got a championship match here. We got Braun trying to capture his first taste of gold on a Super Bowl weekend about championships. And it's brushed under the rug. Five minutes. People wonder why Shinsuke Nakamura has never gotten over. Because you give him stupid ass five minute matches. I mean, just with a commercial break, <laughs> you know, it's it's just baffling to me. Well, then even in the post-match gimmick, when you can you can get some more heat there on on Sammy and Cesaro and Shinsuke. No, how this backfired on him. What are the three of them going to do to go after the monster now? And then you freaking kill that whole momentum with this Elias bullshit. It's just so after, after after what he did with Elias at the Rumble, I could care less if I see him till post WrestleMania. I could care less if I ever see him again. I didn't miss him at all. You know, there's one guy, one person on the face of this planet that I think should be sitting there and enjoying this show. And that's Eric Bischoff. I think Eric Bischoff should be sitting there and just laughing his ass off watching SmackDown, being like, yeah, it was my fault. Yeah. Good thing you fired me. Way to go, Bruce. Knocking it probably out of the out, park. Probably out there by the uh, by the old blue barn. You know, got a nice stogie, uh, uh, probably one of his ice cold, his own his own beers, or maybe a nice glass of wine. And, and he's just laughing, laughing it up, feeling just so relieved, feeling so good that he's out of there. Then, then he probably pops a couple of them blue chews. And then, and then goes and takes care of, of Mrs. B, right? Because he's feeling that good. Yeah, all I mean, the stress, just, all the stress of the world of SmackDown Live just gone from his shoulders. On the other hand, you suppose Conrad Thompson calls up Bruce Pritchard and he's like, "What the fuck, Bruce?" Uh, you know what's funny? It was listening to their show, and it, 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 they stay pretty strict to it. It's rare that they'll do anything modern, and it and it's nothing about the product. I wonder how, how many questions what their what their mailbox actually looks like with people just flooding it with, "What the fuck, Bruce?" No, could could that be a spinoff show? Could that be a spinoff show after he gets canned again from WWE? Which is what the fuck, Bruce? We have conversations off the air all the time. Like I, I have to imagine before they record something to wrestle that Conrad's oh, yeah. just like, what the fuck, man? Come but, on. I wonder, Bruce. If it goes, I wonder if it goes back and forth, you know, because Conrad's ties with, with AEW. It's, it's going to be like an interesting dynamic a little bit. And, and you know, Bruce comes back and he's just like, we had 2.7 million viewers this week. <laughs> and it's just like, I, I wonder if it is. Yeah. If he just, if he just sounds like professor, Oh, uh, that's all right. Conrad, <laughs> uh, the, the dog food thing, it had, uh, 5 million downloads. <laughs> I think they're just lucky that the entire, uh, Staples Center Kobe celebration didn't air until after SmackDown went off the air and after they were out of prime time. Uh, let, let's talk about Ring of Honor. Uh, Ring of Honor has decided to take the advice 
of one William Osprey. Rick, it wasn't too long ago that Osprey had put up a post on Twitter basically saying, I think Ring of Honor should bring back the Pure Championship. And if they do, you can count me in. And now we get the news that Ring of Honor is bringing back the Pure Championship. They announced that on their website, a tournament to crown the first Pure Champion in nearly 14 years is going to take place. It's going to be the first round matches at ROH Pure Excellence in Columbus OH IO on Friday, April 10th, and then in that smelly city of Pittsburgh on Saturday, April 11th. But Rick, they didn't announce any talent. Like, that's great that you're having a tournament. How about you tell me who in the fuck's going to be in it? Maybe you'll sell some tickets. Well, we've got a little time for that, right? Let's let's let the the excitement, if you will, or I'm going to say even more so, the understanding of the Pure Championship kind of settle itself in here. And then let's begin, you know, letting people get excited about who potentially could be making a run through this tournament. What kind of structure is this tournament going to bring to us? Yeah, yeah, let's let's let it let's let it settle in here. But I, I think this is something to to be somewhat excited about. And then, as I say, let's let this thing settle in. Let's figure out what it's going to be all about. Is it going to be the the traditional or what we know the first time with the pure championship? Same rules. Are we going to have it tweaked a little bit? You know what is going to what's really going to define this thing is what I want to know. It was really interesting. I think it's something I'm really looking forward to because it's it, again, this adds another dynamic inside of Ring of Honor. I, I, I'm not necessarily thrilled about another championship. I'd like to see the six man go away, but yes, with the please. way they got themselves structured with all these three man factions, that makes sense. But I think you could incorporate those into the tag teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't necessarily need that set uh, of championship belts. But with the pure, it's it, this offers a different dynamic as what we're seeing kind of evolve with inside of Ring of Honor with all of these different, really different styles and more of it gravitating towards that lucha. This goes back to what we expect and appreciate from Ring of Honor. Yeah, I, I have to wonder if they uh, do a show in Atlanta, if the uh, Mexican contingent is just going to chant boring during the pure championship match. That still just blows my mind. Uh, Rick, who do you want to see involved inside of this tournament, Um, whether it be inside of Ring of Honor? I mean, obviously, I expect Osprey is going to be involved in this tournament. Um, How many men do you want to see? Like, do you want to see an eight-man tournament, four-man tournament, 16-man tournament? What do you want to do with this pure championship? Yeah, I wouldn't mind, you know, and, and it represents tradition. It's mat wrestling. It's tech. It's technical ability. Uh, did, what were some other? I mean, there was like some some weird steps in here as well, right? Oh yeah. Re- refresh me on this thing. I, I I don't have it right in front of me. I, I when I saw the announcement a couple of days ago, I actually went back and watched a couple of the matches. Uh, you know, looking at who was the first champ was AJ Styles, wasn't it? Um, I believe so. Or, he was the first to the last. He was the first. He won it at the second anniversary show, held it for 70 days. Um, Also included in the title holders, you have Doug Williams, John Walters, Jay Lethal, a former pure champion, Samoa Joe, Nigel McGinnis, a a kid by the name of Brian Danielson was the final holder of the pure championship. Um, And then it was unified into the ROH World Heavyweight Championship. Um, so it, it really wasn't around that long. The longest reign, Nigel McGinnis, for 350 days. 
Um, there's a few guys that I would really, really like to see hold this championship. I'm trying to, here are the rules. Each wrestler has three rope breaks to stop a submission or pinfall during the match. After a wrestler exhausts his rope breaks, submission and pin attempts under the ropes by the opponent are considered legal. There are no closed fist punches to the face allowed in a pure match, only open-handed slaps, which used to be the rule for every professional wrestling match, and I wish they'd go back to that. Punches to other parts of the body, save for low blows, are permitted. The first to use a closed fist would get a warning. The second would cause a wrestler to be penalized a rope break. If he is already out of rope breaks, the wrestler would then be disqualified. A wrestler is also subject to a 20 count by the referee if the wrestler goes to the floor, which I believe at this point is actually a standard rule inside of Ring of Honor. They sync that up with what New Japan Pro Wrestling does. So those are really the only three rules inside of a pure wrestling match. Okay, and what I was, what I'm interested to see, are we going to keep those set of rules? Because it, as you had mentioned there, Jargo, the pure title, it wasn't around long. And I thought a lot of that had to do with a bit of the confusion between the regular matches, you know, when you're competing, you know, in the, you know, after in a chase for the world championship, the Ring of Honor World Championship, as opposed to the pure division, where you have that disconnect and you're asking people to follow and remember two sets of rules and it becomes confusing for some individuals. Yeah, um, there is one other stipulation. Unlike other championships, the ROH Pure Championship could change hands on a disqualification or a countout. That that also is in there. And, and there's certain things that, like, now everything across the board they've adapted to, as you said, the Japanese style, you get that 20 count. I don't know if we necessarily need to really overemphasize the rope breaks. Now, I think you're okay with it, it can switch on a disqualification. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe, you know, and the closed fist where you have to rely more, you know, you're worried you're, it's more technical based instead of brawling or high flying. Does the closed it, fist thing bother you? Like it bothers me. Oh, I absolutely hate it. I mean, that's one of the, it's one of the, the number one rules of professional wrestling going back. It's tradition. And then if, and then if you could sneak one in, God, you were a bad guy. You were a bastard. And now it's, you know, you got people like Big Show, it's a damn finisher. It was it was a great tool for the heel to get heat. And the other thing that really stands out to me was when we interviewed Al Snow, and he talked about it, that the fakest thing in all of professional wrestling is a punch to the face. There's nothing more fake in the world of professional wrestling than a punch to the face. Because if you punch somebody in the face, you're going to give them a black eye. You're going to bust them open. It's going to have a goose egg immediately, and we don't see any of that. Yeah, the other thing I really think I'd get rid of is the rope break. And maybe if, you, if you're looking for something to keep it where it is distinct on its own, which I think, in, and I think maybe what, what hurt back then is the pure championship division was so similar to what you saw across the board in Ring of Honor. I mean, that yeah. was everybody's style. Yep. But now you see diversity. Well, we've got a number of brawlers. You got the hardcore. You got the lucha. You got the technicians. So now we've got variety where it can stand out. Now, I would suggest maybe two other things. And I'm not completely sold on them. I could be persuaded another way, but I would like to throw them out there and suggest and see what you think here. Uh, one, let's go to time. You know, there is a time limit, not the rounds like the grand championship, but 
you know, like, let's say uh, the standard matches TV, you get 15 minutes, uh, maybe on pay-per-views, this match, ha- this championship has a 30 minute every now and then for a big match, you go 60 minute. So if it would hit the, the time, then you have judges. So we always have a winner. I'd be okay with that. Uh, and then here, how about this for an old school rule, man? I'm, I'm going to go old school, some Bill Watts shit on you. You know, even before I had, he's one of the ones I just remember that stood by this thing, that hung on. He refused to give this thing up, that you can't throw your opponent over the top rope. I'll go one step further. I don't want to see any fucking dives in a pure wrestling match. I want to keep all of the action between the ropes. I want to take the floor completely out of it. I don't want there to be any count out because I want it to be that if you leave the ring, the match is over. Okay. So instead of the, the 20 second, let's accelerate it. But if your opponent goes out got five. and it's no, you, you can't flee this. If you want it five to get a real quick breather, you got to get your ass back in and there's no chasing. There's a five count or you're done. Keep the action in the ring. Yep. I'm with you. Yeah. I, I think that's how this thing should be structured. So what, what we got here? You got, uh, we, we both agree on, how do you feel about the judge thing for the 15, 30 hour, something like that? So we ha- always have a winner. I could be down with that. Okay, so maybe we got that in there. We're both sold on this thing. Instead of the 20 count, you got five seconds. If you're going to bail out, you're using that to re-strategize, get a breath or whatever. This isn't a run around and there's no chase. There's five seconds. If you're outside of that ring after that five seconds, it's over. Whoever's inside the ring wins. Uh, if you if, if you chase, should that be an automatic disqualification? Absolutely. Okay, so we've got that. You, I think we're you both should in also there. be disqualified if you throw your opponent out of the ring. Like I, you, you, the the point is to pin your, or submit your opponent. You can't like you, Jay Lethal can't grab one of the Briscoes, toss him between the ropes, and while he's on the outside, the referee counts to five. And I think, you, all right, that has to come up to discretion of the referee. I think for certain, no over-the-top referee's discretion if you go out between the other two. Fair enough. Okay, so that adds that in there because we're emphasizing in-ring technical ability. And then the no open punches to the face. I think you're set with the rules there. They're simple enough. They're not as confusing. And you're keeping the action inside the ring. The original tournament took place at the second anniversary show featured John Walters, Chris Saban, Doug Williams, Matt Stryker, Josh Daniels, Jimmy Rave, and then, of course, the final, AJ Styles defeats CM Punk in the finals to win the Pure Championship. So I guess you got to go with an eight-man tournament. I, I'm fine with that, um, as long as the final is Will Ospreay versus Jonathan Gresham. To me, Jonathan Gresham should win the Pure Championship. There's nobody else even close unless Zack Sabre Jr. is going to come and get involved in this tournament. Jonathan Gresham should be the holder of the Pure Championship for Ring of Honor and the new standard that all of it is set off of. Yeah, maybe it's it's something we can revisit next week. But let's come up with a bracket that we would present. We'll, we'll, We'll settle on our rules and we'll come up with a bracket. We'll do a little be the booker between us next week to talk about that. I'm down with that. Uh, Let's talk about Bully Ray. Bully Ray made some interesting comments on Busted Open Radio this week uh, regarding NXT and AEW. Hold on, wait a minute. Bully Ray sharing uh, an interesting opinion? Yeah, I know, right? Just crazy. (laughs) Stop Uh, the presence. Bully Ray says that AEW succeeds 
because its wrestlers command more emotion. And, and this is something that we've actually talked about quite a bit on the show in one way or another. NXT might have better wrestlers, might have better wrestling matches, but AEW characters are commanding more emotion. If you look at any successful wrestler throughout history, it's the one who have command of your emotions that have always gotten over more. To prove their point, Bully Ray and producer Alex go over the biggest heels in NXT, everyone from Adam Cole to Shayna Baszler, Finn Balor, and the fans love them all. And Bully says, without hate, there can be no love. You need the opposite end of the spectrum. You can only be moved to love if there's someone that you hate against them. Rick, we have talked about this, and the problem here is Full Sail. The problem is these fans who are insistent on cheering people like Finn Balor and Adam Cole who are out there and they are clearly working heel. Finn Balor has completely even changed his in-ring style since the character change and these fucking full sale marks continue to cheer him over his opponents. The problem isn't the talent. The problem is the fucking fans. Well, I want to say it's maybe even I'm not going to put the complete blame on the fans, but there is such a, you know, we always talk about this. You see these different groups taking sides you know, so that we've been we have these labels for certain individuals is the AEW fans and the NXT purist. And it's kind of bizarre because, it's, you know, people like us step back who, you know, we have to be overly involved in all products. We pride ourselves on not just covering a certain show or a certain region of the globe. You know, we get overly involved in everything on all levels of wrestling. So we're, we always ask, you know, why can't you just you know find the different things to enjoy in each? But there is a, a very hard line drawn in the sand between certain fans where you know they side with one and AEW fans they play along. You know, when you're supposed to hate someone, even though, you know, now we're getting this, you know, they're singing along with Jericho's theme and all that. And it's driving me pretty, crazy to the point where I want Jericho to change his fucking music. And I, you get you don't think that he's thinking about that? I, yeah, I would just change it to the new single. Well, now you've got you've got TNT on board. They're trying to encourage it because they love the energy. And my point there is that this audience is bringing an energy. But even when they're singing along. They're still putting heat on Jericho. They're still booing him at times. You know, they're still eating up when he's coming out there and he's just giving it to him. Where on the other side, you know, at NXT, you have somebody out there like Adam Cole, tremendous persona, working his ass off to get that heat. And that audience is doing him no favors, him personally doing him no favors by going against the green. But I think it's much cheaper. It's just not the fans, it's the conditioning. And it's it more, it falls on management. This, again, is we were talking a couple of weeks ago, NXT starting to get those 74-year-old, that 74-year-old ball stench, that corporate stench on them. And that audience realizes that they think, you know, they're just, they're giving us Adam Cole because that's what they, that's what they want us to do. We have to buck, we have to buck the system. No pun intended. We got to go against the green. We're over with AEW. They embrace their fans. We listen to you. you know, again, this, this is a company ran by the boys for the people and that audience eats that up no matter what they put out there there's plenty of flaws in their product it's cheesy as hell at times they're an embarrassment to wrestling sometimes i mean the psychology completely out the window 
But as long as they keep catering to that audience, they're going to keep supporting it. And ultimately, you know, in business, you're going to have to worry about expanding, but they've got a, a great grasp on that core audience of theirs. I thought the most telling thing on AEW TV this week was Hangman Page. The fact that Hangman actually came out to make the save while still working the gimmick, he hands his beer over to Matt Jackson. He's like, hold my beer while I buckshot Larry at this motherfucker. And the fans were totally with it. This cowboy shit thing, like we said weeks ago, is going to work and it's going to get Hangman over. And they're going with it. If the original plan was to turn Hangman Page heel, they have completely changed course at this point, and they're listening to the audience, and they're going with the audience. And that's something that WWE just refuses to do. For God's sake, we have literally had a war on the WWE fans on behalf of management, and its name is Roman Reigns. People were booing Roman Reigns out of every freaking building. People wanted to boo Roman Reigns. Nope, we're going to keep him a baby face because as long as he's getting a reaction, that's the thing that did it right there. As long as you're getting a reaction, they don't care if it's a positive reaction or a negative reaction. It goes back to their Randy being Randy thing. We want everything to be shades of gray bullshit. They did it with John Cena because it worked with Cena. With let's go Cena, Cena sucks. Nobody's saying let's go Roman, Roman sucks. They're just booing Roman out of the freaking building. And you insisted on keeping him a baby face because you justified it by, boy, he's getting a reaction. Just because you're getting a reaction doesn't change the fact that you want the reaction that's fucking intended. Otherwise, your entire narrative is blown up. And we're starting to see that happen in NXT. But you know, to, to speak to Cena here just for a moment, it worked with him because he had the persona, the personality to persevere through that. And he also had he actually had stars th that opposed him. He had a people like an edge, like a Randy Orton. And he embraced you know, it. It became part of the Cena character. It was never part of the Roman Reigns character. Well, it, and as that persona Roman Reigns and, and just that true personality, he didn't have that in him. You know, it was just okay. They and they kept, you know, baby feeding him that. Just as long as you get that reaction, pal. Just stay the course. It all come around for us. This is all gonna work. Can you imagine if you know, let's just even look inside the family? It's all right, it's all right, Rocky. You know, it, it I don't care if there's fifty thousand people chanting they want you to die. We're just going to keep you going. Yeah. Keep going out there in your blue and yellow tassels and acting like the smiling baby face, even though they're yeah. chanting, die, Rocky, die. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the flip. Uh, all right, Steve. We, we we hear the cheers here, but we, we no, we're just going to keep it going this direction here. All right. We're not going to have you do anything cool. No yep. catchphrases. Don't no No merchandise. Well, you don't even get any pr promo time. We, we just want you to be a mute. We're going to let DiBiase talk for you. Yeah, yeah. The ringmaster's the way to go, buddy. Yep. This is what we committed to. It just doesn't make any sense. Listen to your damn audience. And they love cowboy shit. At this very moment in time, Hangman Page is the most over that he's ever been in AEW 
because he's walking around getting drunk, handing people his beer. Like, I thought that was just masterful. The way that he came out there on Wednesday night, hands over his beer to Matt Jackson. Just like, here, hold my beer. Buckshot Lariat. Hey, and I will give it to, to Jackson there, man. He did a great job selling that thing. It was great. That was the best thing on Dynamite this week. Hey, people are sitting there talking about, you know, everyone's got these these worries. Man, is this the right thing in 2020 to talk about maybe someone having a drinking a problem and alcohol abuse? He's out there having fun. Who, who doesn't love the life of the party? Some of my favorite people are happy-go-lucky drunks, and you want to talk about a functional alcoholic, if you will, be back there pounding beers like that and go out there and hit that buckshot? And who's the bad guy in this situation? The guy who keeps trying to take away his beer. Hey, nobody. You know who's the ultimate heel anywhere at closing time? The guy who tries to take away the beer. Yeah. And his name is Kenny Omega. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yep. Kenny Omega is the one going heel. It's not Hangman Page. And we've said that for a very long time at this point because we're smart and we actually pay attention. Huckleberry, let's wrap this up real quick. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about New Beginning Night 1. Um, we, we had a couple of very interesting matches, including John Moxley. John Moxley tag-teaming with Kazuchika Okada against Taishi and Minoru Suzuki. Um, uh, this, of course, basically just a preview for the two big singles matches coming up. But there is this moment where they're standing on the outside of the ring and they both, they, they got their coats on. Mox has got his leather jacket and Okada's got his big fucking Rainmaker shit on. And they just look at each other and they both take off their jackets and they kind of nod at one another and they dive in and go right after Suzuki and Mox and uh, Taishi. Uh, Rick, if I would have told you a year ago that Dean Ambrose is going to be a tag team partner with Kazuchika Okada and it's going to work. The fans are going to love this shit. I would have called myself crazy. Uh, if you would have ever mentioned that to you would ever would have ran that by me, especially since we've been, you know, we've been doing these podcasts together. Uh, I would have been jar. I would have told you jar. Stop hanging out with hangman page. <laughs> put, put down the bottle, buddy. All right, put down the bottle. But hey, East meets West. This you talk about a moment, right? And how about Box over there selling the eye? Yeah, I thought that was absolutely fantastic. And they put it over on the commentary. Absolutely tremendous, right there. Uh, a moment, and it just adds to that build there. What we're gonna get here? Yep. Really, really. Good uh, I, w I was worried. I was worried it was going to take some of the the, uh, the wind out of the sails, you know, the anticipation of when they can get in there, you know, one on one. But absolutely not at all. Nope, not even a little bit. Um, also on the show, we would see Robbie Eagles and Dragon Lee face off with Bushi and Hiromu. Kind of a preview of that big match coming up in Osaka. Sonata and Naito take on Switchblade Jay White and Kenta which is just, you know, an absolute freaking heat magnet at this point. Uh, Switchblade Jay White going to be taking on Marty Skrull at Supercard of Honor. Do you like that matchup? Absolutely. And I know a good friend of the show, always on here with us, personal friend of mine, Kevin Myers, was saying to me just a couple weeks ago, you know, we just touching base, I hadn't seen him in a little while, and 
mainly talking about some other, you know, sports and all that. And I mentioned wrestling and he's like, man, there just hasn't been anything to get me excited. And then like a day or two later, we get Marty with the challenge or that we hear that, you know, switchblade is coming down there. We get Marty with the challenge. We, we get the, the official answer, the rebuttal here from switchblade. This, this is excited. Kevin, this has got me excited. I'm looking forward to this one. If you want excitement in professional wrestling, you need look no further than Minoru Suzuki and John Moxley, the singles match. that's going to be happening in Osaka. Hell, on this show, we got to actually see Suzuki hit a gotch-style pile driver, which doesn't happen very often, let alone to somebody the level of John Moxley. That, to me, has potential match of the year implications. Uh, another matchup that was on this show that just, I mean, y- you hear this and it's like, this is Huckleberry's like dream house. Tomohiro Ishii taking on evil. Two big freaking hosses who don't like one another, just beating the ever-loving shit out of one another for 21 minutes and 14 seconds before Tomohiro Ishii hits the vertical drop brain buster on Evil. Rick, I don't know what it's all about, but I have heard behind the scenes, Evil's got some heat. Oh, interesting. I I didn't pick up on that yet. Uh, But yeah, just, I mean, in the match itself, I, I am certainly looking forward to, as you said, this is right up my alley. This is classic wrestling for me. These are two guys just going to go out there, throw the fuck down. You know, this is one again that, you know, that you only can get from the Japan. It's, it's Godzilla and King Kong get ready to go. That's what we're going to get. Uh, but it is interesting. You're talking about evil with some heat, you know, going back, even heading into Wrestle Kingdom. I had been asking you, I was really concerned over the direction and the creative going forward for both evil and Sonata as it seen that they had kind of been pushed to a back burner. Then we had kind of seen maybe a little bit of an emergence where they were favoring Sonata with something. Maybe he, maybe there isn't nothing there for, for evil that uh, he has got uh, some issues with management. Yeah. Cause I mean, right now Sonata finds himself in a feud with switchblade Jay white and evil is just kind of wandering around aimlessly getting beat up by Ishii, which is never a good time for anybody. And that wasn't even the main event, Huckleberry. That's the crazy part of this show. You want to talk about two guys beating the ever-loving piss out of one another. How's this for a mashup for you? Hiroki Goto, the Roman Reigns of Japan, the 28th never-open-weight champion in history, just won the title at Wrestle Kingdom. There's no way he's going to drop it here, right? Oh, yeah, but his challenger is Shingo Takagi. Shingo, one of the guys that I actually made a case for, could have been wrestler of the year last year. Shingo had an incredible 2019, probably the breakout star of the year. And now he has defeated Roman Reigns in the main event of one of the new beginning shows to capture the never open weight championship. Goto goes down. We have another new never open weight champion because you know this title seems to change hands like every other title defense if not every title defense 29 never open weight champions already like if if you're looking for medusa to show up grab a belt and throw it in the trash anything in new japan that says never open weight on it whether it be the six man titles or the singles title to take all four belts medusa just throw them in the trash they're absolutely worthless that being said 
I really like Shingo taking this belt. Shingo can branch what never open weight means. It's supposed to be a blend of the, the junior heavyweight style and the heavyweight style. It's open to anybody. I like Shingo holding this title. I never liked Goto holding this title. Oh, you know, something just came to me. You know, we were talking off air. We were comparing the, the never open weight championship to the 24-7 championship, the way that it's switching hands. Let's go all the way back. Let's rewind. Let's go to the vault. Just well, not all the way back. Just a few weeks ago, so we're reviewing Wrestle Kingdom, and, and I'm tying in sponsorship because it's you know Wrestle Kingdom. We're getting up at all hours. You know, if, it, if it's just after midnight, if it's two a.m., four a.m., and we're riding that out till you know six, seven, eight in the morning here on the East Coast. And, and you know me, the RBV, you know. I gotta, I gotta have my grub, especially during these wrestling events. And where do I have to turn? Is Waffle House, and, and it was then I pitched, I pitched to them. You know, I, I had tie-ins where Waffle House should become the American sponsor of Wrestle Kingdom and New Japan. So here we go, right here. We're just gonna rename the the, the Never Open Weight Championship, the Waffle House Championship, because yes, it's always open for business. I'm down with that. The Waffle House Championship of the world. I'm yes. down with that. I like it. Always open for business. What, what 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 do you suppose would be on a Shingo waffle? That just that just sounds disgusting. A Shingo waffle? A Shingo waffle. You, you better hope the Tessa Blanchard's not the short order cook that evening. You, you order shit on a Shingo. Shit on a Shingo. You know, shit on a Shingo is good. I'm, I'm sure that you know tomorrow with the Super Bowl. There will be plenty of shit on the shingle being consumed. Shit on a shingo, available now at Waffle House. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then find the entire HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, and visit Huckleberry and I this Monday in the locker room, hackerhameen.podbean.com. Rick, we got a little bit of news that we got to talk about. WWE stock prices just taking an absolute dive, a bigger dive than Hiroki Goto going down to shit on a Shingo. Well, as always, you know, what you're going to get in the Monday locker room, you know, you've heard all the other shows. They're talking about the stock. We're, we're coming at it from a number of directions. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into this situation. So we're going to get you a, a different perspective because that's, that's what we do here. If it's if it's the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, if it's the Monday locker room, that's what you get with Jargo and Victory. Uh, but before we get out of here, hey, tomorrow, Super Sunday, Chiefs Niners. Yeah, that's, that's going to be an okay thing. But hey, the main event, the marquee, the showdown, 1 o'clock Eastern. Team Rock, oh, Team Pump, Puppy Ball 16, baby. It's going down. And it's all for a good cause. Jugger, you're, you're trying to bury this thing. No, I'm not trying to bury it. I'm trying to not talk about it at all. This is a tremendous cause. They, they are finding homes for, for all of these sweet little guys. That's what it's about. And you get some great on-field action from some of the finest. Some of the finest four-leg athletes that, that, that we've ever seen. Puppy Bowl 16. Fluffin' rough. If you're going to hit me in with that thing, you keep up with me, Rick Vickery, across all social media platforms, at The Real RBV. But here for after this Waffle House talk, the only place you're going to find me in the next hour and a half is smothered, covered, and chunked. I'm on the way to the house, baby. Dogs, Jewel. 
cats rule pussy over strong. You can find me across all social media platforms at not Jargo. I will not be talking about the fucking puppy bowl. Although I probably will be talking about the Super Bowl. Huckleberry, I'm very, very torn tomorrow because I'm picking San Francisco, but I'm pulling for Andy Reid. Which way are you leaning tomorrow? Well, growing up in Cincinnati, being a Bengals fan, uh, there's nothing in my being that will ever allow me to root for the Niners inside of a Super Bowl. Joe Montana was one of my all-time favorites. And never root for them in a Super Bowl for what they have done to us, taking two of them away from us. It's not going to happen. But also, Montana was a Chiefs fan. I really rooted for him there. That's that's where he really became one of my favorites. Hey, and you, you got to feel for uh, for Mr. Andy Reid. You know, outside of the man's passion and his desire and commitment, he is a tremendous follower of RBB Fitness. And I think he really, really likes shit on a shingle. We'll talk to you Monday in the locker room. We'll have your full Super Bowl coverage later on this week. But for now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Crunch your fingers. Label me. Don't give up. You bad guy.